0: It's time for Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the show focusing on fishing, hunting, outdoor recreation, destinations, and conservation in the region where you live and play. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lure Company, Sportsman's Warehouse, and Wallowa County. And now, let's see what's going on in the field and on the water with your host, John Cruz.
1: Welcome to the show. I've got to tell you, I'm starting to get excited for an upcoming trip to Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska. This will be my fourth time there. Once again, I'm heading up there with my daughter Faith. I always enjoy this adventure and I've got great news for some of you. If you've wanted to go there, you actually can because there's been a cancellation and a total of eight spots are now available for the week of July 5th through the 9th. They call Sportsman's Cove Lodge Alaska's best lodge. There's several reasons for that. Number one, the remote setting reached by float plane from Ketchikan has a better than one-to-one staff to customer ratio, so you're going to be very well taken care of. They offer absolutely delicious food, comfortable accommodations, and fantastic fishing out of comfortable covered boats for salmon, halibut, cod, and more. The dates that are open, again, are July 5th through the 9th. It's a four-day fishing trip, and we'll give you more details later in the show, but you can check out the lodge and contact the staff. Now, for details, if you want to, just go to alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for a trip to Sportsman's Cove Lodge. This week on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we've got several great guests for you. Our first one is Chris Bachman. He's with the Kettle Range Conservation Group, and he is the person who issued a press release to shine a light on a poaching case in northeast Washington where four wolves were found dead this winter, but the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife refused to acknowledge that fact for over three months, the lack of transparency on the part of the state agency is concerning to say the least, and we'll lay that out in more detail in a few minutes. The Great Chinook Salmon Run has got springers on the mind of a lot of anglers, and the summer run fish are hard on their heels. With that in mind, Bob Loomis with Max Lure will tell you about a great lure you can use to catch some of these fish in the saltwater. After that, we'll check in with Roger Phillips with the Idaho Department of Fishing and game and find out what's going on in the gem state, especially on the fishing front. And speaking of which, if you are a Saturday listener, today is a free fishing day in Idaho and the entire weekend is a free weekend to fish and harvest shellfish like shrimp and crab and clams in Washington State too, no license required. As for our final guest, he grew up in Oregon, but lives in Washington now, Kettle Falls in Northeast Washington to be exact. His name is Ray Livingston. He's a 47-year-old outdoor survivalist. He was one of the contestants on season six of the popular show Alone, which was set that year in the Arctic. He also just wrapped up a new show that aired this spring on the USA Network, Blood, Sweat, and Beards. Ray will tell you about his experiences on both shows towards the end of our program. Throw in our Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week where you get the chance to win that $25 gift card we give away on a weekly basis from America's premier outfitter, and I'd say we've got a really fun show coming your way. So let's get it going. We'll do so the way we always do with another edition of Sportsman's Spotlight with David Sparks, brought to you by the Ag Information Network of the West.
0: An Outdoorsman's Philosophy, David Sparks, Sportsman's Spotlight. Whether you're hunting for bear, elk, muleys, birds, or rabbits, it really doesn't matter. There is a philosophy which I certainly endorse, and that is, to be quite specific, eat what you kill. It's a great philosophy in business. It's a great philosophy out in the field. Well, it should be no surprise that the same philosophy is endorsed and preached by longtime hunting and fishing guide. Eddie Sanchez, with whom I met in a hunting tent at 9,500 feet at Winterhawk Outfitters in the Flat Tops Wilderness and White River National Forest of Colorado, expounded at great length. Make no mistake, Eddie is a true outdoorsman. Part of hunting, as most hunters are, is harvesting the meat and utilizing that for home. We enjoy it. We don't have to have it. You can go to the grocery store and buy meat, but it's not the same. We enjoy the meat of what we harvest. And I know a lot of people hunt and they don't care about it. I don't agree with that. I think that if you are going to kill an animal, that you need to respect that animal. And part of the respect is to utilize every part of it as it should be. And that's why that animal was put on this earth, was for us to be able to eat them. And again, I know that we don't have to do that because you can go to the grocery store, but it's not the same. And you know what? The animals at the grocery store also are giving their lives for us to eat david sparks sportsman spotlight
1: when every moment matters put time back on your side with Retain plant growth regulator soluble powder now registered for up to two applications per season retain gives you more flexibility and control of your orchard by extending your harvest window retain is proven to reduce pre-harvest fruit drop so your yield doesn't fall to the ground Run Harvest on your schedule with Retain. Contact your local retailer or visit valent.com slash retain. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: At Northwest Farm Credit Services, we're owned by agricultural producers, so we're 100% focused on their success. And when our customers do well, we do too. We share profits with our customer members through cash patronage dividends. It's a unique benefit of financing with a cooperative, one you won't find with any other lender. And as we've grown, so have the cash patronage benefits paid to our customers. To learn more about the benefits of being a customer member, give us a call. Northwest Farm Credit Services, here to help you grow equal opportunity provider and employer equal housing lender
2: sportsman's warehouse is america's premier outfitter full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season firearms ammo archery equipment decoys clothing boots and more find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com
1: You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio, and we've got a poaching mystery that we need some help with here. Four wolves were found dead in Stevens County near the border of Canada and northeast Washington on February 18th. And the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is trying to figure out who's responsible for the deaths of these wolves. With us here to tell us more about the situation is Chris Bachman. He's the Wildlife and Wildlands Director for the Kettle Range Conservation Group, which has some very deep interest in this subject. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Chris, you know, right up front, your organization and ones I often associate with, we don't always see eye to eye on predator management, but I think it's important to note and on some issues, like illegally killing, game, poaching, I think you and I can both agree that we need to work together to solve crimes like this.
3: Absolutely. And I think it's important, you know, on multiple fronts, if we're able to come together and work together. I think, you know, the bottom line is, is we all want wild places with wild animals running around on them. And, and the more we can work together and sort of bridge gaps that are between us, I think the better off we all are
1: and the better off the environment is as well. I would agree with that completely. So let's dive into this case. The date's February 18th. You've got a couple of Stevens County Sheriff's deputies on patrol, on snowmobiles, around North Churchill Mine Road, which is close to the Canada border. They come across a dead wolf, and when they circle back, they come across three more dead wolves. Tell us more about what these deputies found.
3: Well, you've laid it out pretty well from what we've found in, in the report. So we started hearing rumblings that there were some wolves that had been killed probably the latter part of February or early March. And we subsequently did a, a public records request to the Stevens County Sheriff's Department. And in that, we found exactly what you just said. You know, a couple of deputies on patrol found a single wolf. There was no sign of of outward trauma, meaning like no gunshot wound or blood in the snow. They documented that. They continued their patrol and on the way back found three more. Same situation, no indication of being shot, no indication of blood in the area. They dated them, assumed the first one had been there for a little over three weeks. Part of that is that it had been partially fed on by birds. A lot of fur had been plucked off of it by birds. The others had been dead for a lesser amount of time. Once I got this report, I actually reached out to some colleagues that work in the field, retired U.S. Fish and Wildlife folks. And through the information that we had, the determination was it was very likely poisoning that had taken the animals.
1: It's important to note, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. In early 2021, several wolves were poisoned, I believe it was in Union County in northeast Oregon. And a $50,000 reward is being offered for information on that case, which is still open. They still haven't solved that case. And this kind of gets into the, the whole situation when it comes to living with wolves. Some people just don't want to live with wolves. Now, this territory it was occupied by the pack, and it's territory where there's been a history of conflict between wolves and livestock, isn't it?
3: Yeah, very much so. You know, for listeners that don't know where the wedge is, it's an inverted triangle that's in northeast Washington. It's bordered by Canada on the north, bordered by the Kettle River on the west, the Columbia on the east. And there have been. I mean, this is a place where wolves were first migrating into the state. And in 2012, the first pack removal took place there due to the conflict with livestock. The whole pack was removed, state one. I believe there were seven wolves that were killed in that incident in 2012. The wedge pack was then, there wasn't a wedge pack for a while, um, but it's good wolf habitat. And so wolves moved back in and there was additional removals, I believe, in 2019. But the, the big problem that we have in northeast Washington that's the coexistence issue is we have you know wolves returning to the state to recolonize federal land and federal land grazing allotments through the Forest Service. So we have wildlife and cattle overlapping in multiple places. And, you know, one of the things that we're trying to work to help resolve is is this conflict, right? Whenever you have predators on the landscape and you're putting livestock out into the forest, I mean, it's really hard to keep track of those animals. And we have people called range riders that are out there that do try to keep an eye on them. But, I mean, if you're familiar with the, the landscape and the geography and geology in Northeast Washington... It's pretty mountainous, bumpy, rough, rugged terrain, heavily treed. truly really hard to keep a handle on your livestock and keep them with an eyesight. So sort of an inevit- inevitability that conflict's going to occur. But we need to work together as much as we possibly can to try to mitigate that. We want to help keep livestock alive so that people's livelihoods are not being negatively impacted. And we also want to have a place for you know, wildlife to live in our, our federal lands. Those are the places that we should have you know, wild animals running around.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the investigation into these four dead wolves that likely were poisoned. The Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, they were dead silent about this. As a matter of fact, in their latest monthly update, published May 9th, they didn't even mention the fact that these four wolves had been killed at all. And I understand you got a little frustrated with this, and you issued a press release to shine some light on it.
3: We did, and and the press release was centered around the the sheriff's uh, report that we had gotten I understand the need for some silence, you know, because you have an ongoing investigation and you don't want to tip, you know, you don't want to show your cards. You don't want to tip your hand and and show potentially the perpetrator that they're about to be caught or whatever it is. Right. But we waited three months. And you reach a point where, you know, when you don't see anything being done, and and like you said, in in their reports, they're not even acknowledging it, they've been directly questioned on it, both by the public at commission meetings and by Washington Department of Wildlife commissioners had asked them about it, and they, you know, flatly denied it. And having had the information, knowing that there was, you know, there there was just mistruths coming out or, or a lack of truth coming out, you know, waiting, you know, three months post the incident, it was time to just, you know, shine that light. So that's what we ended up doing to get it out in the public eye. I mean, to me, you know, the, the more the public knows about it, the more information potentially can come in. And you know, our, our press release was followed by a press release from other NGOs, non, you know, nonprofits that the same sort of reward is being offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction of a perpetrator. So I don't know that that's going to be truly you know, all that effective, but the more people that know what's going on, the more people can share information.
1: Well, I don't disagree with you on this, and frankly, I'm disappointed by the lack of transparency by the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife on this issue. In my former life, I was actually a public information officer for a police department, and I couldn't imagine having, let's say, a triple homicide and just not telling anybody that it occurred, you know? This this is kind of a big deal when four wolves are, are potentially poisoned or otherwise illegally killed, and you just cover it up completely for the sake of we don't want to hamper or hinder the investigation. So I think three months was plenty long to wait. I think it's important that people do know about this, and I'm glad that a reward's being offered. And folks, if you are listening today, you know anything about this case, I don't care what your stance on wolves is, poaching of any game animal or managed animal, it's wrong. It's not the way we manage game. It's not the way to go about things. Please contact the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, the local office, ask for a game warden or enforcement officer and share what you might know with them or contact the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They would be interested in having this information as well. As we wrap things up here, anything else you want to say about this case that folks ought to know about? Well, I I do want to
3: mention the the transparency piece with WDFW, if I could. Please. You know, trust is based in that. You know, trust is based in in transparency and open and honest communication. And it's unfortunate because I I think that if groups like Kettle Range and, you know, hunting groups like yours and the Department of Fish and Wildlife are all working together and having that open, honest communication, we're going to do a lot more effective wildlife management. And I think there's a, a lack of trust, and I think it's unfortunate. I think that, you know, sharing this information could have really increased the amount of trust that you know both people living in rural northeast washington have of the department of fish and wildlife and people that work for you know conservation nonprofits like myself have in the department of fish and wildlife so i think there's ways to handle this that could have been a little bit more open and honest and i think it's unfortunate that the way things ended up turning out because nobody looks good right now and we all need to be able to you know help each other out for the benefit of wildlife and it's just unfortunate to me the way things have actually played out
1: Well said. That's Chris Bachman, folks, uh, Wildlife and Wildlands Director for the Kettle Range Conservation Group. If you want to find out more about the work they're doing and follow this case as well, go to their website. You'll find it at KettleRange.org. You'll also find the Kettle Range Conservation Group on Facebook, too. Chris, thanks for bringing this to our attention today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thanks, John. I truly appreciate the opportunity.
2: Go fishing. Help salmon and make money. You can do it from May 1st through September 30th by catching northern pike minnow and turning them in for cash. Here's how it works. First, register at a designated station on the Columbia or Snake River. Then, go fishing. At the end of the day, turn in any pike minnow you catch 9 inches or longer and look for the ones with tags worth $500. bucks. you will get vouchers for those pike minnow you turn in, and you mail those in for cash. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wingbeats on a duck marsh, public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today.
0: with more of the great outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. If it's the bottom of the hour, it's time for
1: another Max Minute. And with us again is Bob Loomis with Max Lure. Bob, great to have you back. Thank you, John. So a lot of folks are getting excited about saltwater salmon fishing. We're talking about charter boat captains and weekend warriors are going to be heading out Anywhere from Brookings, Oregon, to Garibaldi, to Ilwaco, to Westport, and all the way up to the saltwater British Columbia. Anything in particular that you'd recommend for the salt that's going to work for both Chinook and Coho? John, one of the products that we've got is called the Salmon Wiggle Hoochie. and is what it is. is It's a uh, squid
4: body, a four inch squid body. They're all high UV, and on the front of it is a crankbait style bill that we call the uh, wiggle bill and this salmon wiggle hoochie moves tremendously well in the water when trolled behind a dodger uh, you know you don't have to have it with a dodger because it does create its own movement but it works great for attraction you know bringing fish into the lure by using a dodger with it but it works really well as far as added movement you can use it with a strip bait
1: you can uh, fish it without you can fish it with scent and it works fantastic for chinooks and silvers. I was going to ask about the scent. I was going to ask about the bait. You covered that. In terms of a Dodger versus a Triangle Flasher, why the Dodger over the Triangle Flasher?
4: Well, you could fish the Triangle Flasher with this one because it creates its own movement. So you you don't have to have a Dodger or a large Paddle Flasher to create movement and add that added attraction. Uh, A Triangle will work very well with this
1: particular product because it does create its own movement. And if you're using the Max Scent Flash, you can put some scent in there as well and double your fun. Again, it's the Salmon Wiggle Hoochie. It is the squid body that works like a crankbait, and it'll work. Catch some silvers and chinook out there in the saltwater this summer. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, John
0: game-changing that's the best way to describe the new scent flash uv triangle flasher from max lure company this 360 degree rotational inline flasher features a scent release system attracting salmon to the lure behind it like no other flasher on the market soak the free scent pad with any type of oil or gel or load up the cavity with any type of bait for fishing success beyond your wildest dreams it's the scent flash uv triangle flasher only from max lure company
2: Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is the voice for your public lands, waters, and wildlife. From the Canadian Yukon to the Florida Everglades, we're stepping up to conserve North America's public lands, defend our hunting and fishing traditions, and expand access to the outdoors. Find out how you can get involved at backcountryhunters.org. Go fishing. Help salmon and make money. You can do it through September 30th by catching northern pike minnow and turning them in for cash. Here's how it works. First, register at a designated station on the Columbia or Snake River. Then, go fishing. At the end of the day, turn in any pike minnow you catch 9 inches or longer and look for the ones with tags worth $500. bucks. you will get vouchers for those pike minnow you turn in, and you mail those in for cash. Find out more at pikeminnow.org.
1: You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz, and it's time for our monthly outdoors news roundup with the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. And with us here, as usual, is Roger Phillips, the public information supervisor. Roger, hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. Well, yes, absolutely.
4: You know, got out and had some fun like everybody and and, and endured some rain like everyone.
1: <laughs> it was indeed rainy, but hopefully the rest of June will be a little bit nicer for us. As usual, a whole bunch of news out of Idaho. And I guess the biggest thing that we need to talk about, especially for Saturday listeners, is the fact that June 11th, Saturday, is a free fishing day. And Fish and Game has got a few events going on, too.
4: Yeah, you know, we're really happy to start ramping these things back up after the whole COVID situation. They kind of were on hiatus for a couple of years and now we've got some back and obviously we're pretty excited about it. As the name implies or not even implies states, it's, you know, a free fishing day and folks can come out to these events and we provide fishing rods and tackle and bait for beginners and especially kids and You know, they can come out and enjoy some fishing and and maybe learn a thing or two and then go out and try it on their own. And, you know, also want to point out that, you know, kids 13 years and younger is kind of every day is free fishing day. They don't need a license in Idaho. So it's it's a really nice summertime activity for them. And maybe this is a chance to introduce them to it.
1: You know, these trailers that you have uh, for these events, I presume they're in just about all of your regional offices. Is that right?
4: That's correct. We have a bunch of trailers all over the state, and those are, those are out, you know, all through the month of June in key locations, and those are other opportunities where folks can go and enjoy some free fishing. While those trailers are there and we're hosting an event, people can fish for free during those events, but then when we back up and leave, all rules still apply.
1: How do folks find out where these trailers and staff are, are going to be on, you know, a weekly basis?
4: Yep. You know, best way is just on our webpage, we have them, or they can call any of our regional offices and find out where they're going to be.
1: All right, well, speaking of fish, there's a new state record smallmouth that was caught and released out of Dvorak Reservoir. Trevor Went, who apparently is a fishing guide who lives in Lewiston, guides out of Orofino, presumably for steelhead, caught it. What else do you know about this catch?
4: Well, you know, it's always exciting when we get these catches, and it was right up there, you know, kind of neck and neck with the with the weight record, which that a piece turned it loose and and measured it first, which qualifies it for a catch and release record. And and an interesting thing about Dorshak, it has traditionally produced record size smallmouth, and it's very directly tied to our kokanee populations up there. So, when the kokanee do well, we tend to see those the size of those bass increase you know, the following year, and it's kind of a a cool way to see how These species affect each other, and it's always just fun to see pictures of big fish coming out of the water. You know, it just never gets old, I'll I'll be honest.
1: Oh, I'm with you on that. And Travis, if you're listening, congratulations on catching and releasing that monster 23-and-a-half-inch long smallmouth bass. And by the way, folks, if you're wondering what the official record is for the biggest bass that's been caught and kept, that was a 9.72-pound smallmouth that was caught back in 2006. Also out of Dvorak Reservoir. This lake just keeps kicking out the records. I suspect that the next record will be caught out of there, too.
4: Well, there's a good chance of that. and Yeah, can you imagine reeling in almost a 10-pound smallmouth? I mean, just knowing they're out there gives me kind of the warm fuzzies, even if I don't catch one.
1: Oh, I'm I'm with you on that. My personal best smallmouth is only 5.4 pounds, so I couldn't imagine, but that's all right. Other fishing news, not as good. Cascade Lake is known as the premier perch lake in probably the, the entire West because it just has those huge jumbo perch that are often also record-setting. But walleye have been found there, and that's not a good thing, is it?
4: No, it's not. And walleye, are, people are kind of confused by walleye because they've become more and more common in the West. And you know what we really want to stress is, I aren't bad fish, they're just real bad in the wrong places. And so Cascade is one where definitely it's the wrong place. An angler caught another one in Lake Lowell. We suspect how they got there, and probably somebody put them there, but we don't know that for sure yet. But boy, we sure ask folks to, A, if you catch one where it doesn't belong, please keep it please bring it to us or let us know so we can take a look at it. And, you know, if anybody, God forbid, is out thinking that they're going to get some walleye fishing in Idaho where we don't want it, that's probably not going to happen. And please don't do it. It's against the law. We will, you know, cite people for that. And that can really mess up some fisheries. These are These are very voracious fish and they can upset the balance that we work really hard to strive for. And, you know, Probably most anglers don't want them there either, so you're not doing anybody any favors. So you kind of play by the rules there. Don't bring in those walleye.
1: You know, bucket biology is the term for how a lot of these fish are introduced, whether it be walleye or northern pike or sometimes bass. And folks, it's always a horrible idea when you do this because most of our fisheries, not just in Idaho, but throughout the northwest they're pretty carefully managed for the the right mix of fish and the right species of fish and when you go ahead and introduce something that's not supposed to be there it can ruin everything so don't do it roger is absolutely right about this okay sticking with fishing let's talk about salmon fishing on the snake river the clear water and the salmon rivers it's starting to pick up and we've got a really good run of spring chinook coming over bonneville dam this year
4: yeah, people are getting really excited about it, and I personally know a bunch of folks who are going back to, hey, let's just take a long weekend or a whole week and go up there and go fishing, and people are, you know, we're starting to see the catch rates creep up, and we've actually had to close a couple of, of sections because, you know, kind of their quota had been caught, but it's just darned exciting to see these springers coming back again into Idaho in, in good fishable numbers and people out there and enjoying them because, you know, as you know, if you've ever been around the Lewiston area during the peak of that season, you know, it, it almost looks like buoy ten on the Columbia. There's just <laughs> a bunch of folks out there having a good time catching fish and man, we're just really glad to see it back.
1: I think everyone is really glad to see the run this year because, you know, the, the spring Chinook runs on the Columbian snake, they've been having a hard time, but this year we're up to, what, I believe it's 129% of the 10-year average that's come over Bonneville Dam. I know a good portion of those springers are heading into Idaho and the rivers we just mentioned, so that is indeed great news. How long does this fishery go? Pretty much through the end of June, I'm guessing?
4: Um, it depends on the section because we pretty well you know, have it sectioned off so that too many fish aren't caught down low and there's still fish up above. But, you know, as an example, the little salmon, which is a really popular fishery there around Riggins, it tends to peak right about this time of year. You know, the Memorial Day weekend is often when that river kind of, the river flows peak. And as soon as they start coming down, those fish start flooding into the little salmon. So that first couple of weeks in June, that's definitely the time you want to be there. And I've always said, You know, don't wait until you hear a good fishing report. Make the good fishing report because sometimes by the time you get there, it might already be done. So, you know, get there, take your crack at it, and hope your timing's good. But always better to be a little early than a little late because a little late means you, you might not be fishing.
1: Excellent advice as always, folks. If you want to find out more about what's going on in the state of Idaho, just go to the Idaho Department of Fishing Game website. Just Google Idaho Fish and Game. You'll get there in a hurry. Check out the media and news release page, and you'll be in the know about what's going on outdoors in the state of Idaho. Thanks as always, Roger. You're welcome, John. It's my pleasure.
2: Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com.
1: Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. we got a real treat for you today. We're talking to Ray Livingston. He's an outdoor survivalist, but he didn't start that way. He grew up in Portland, Oregon, attended the University of Oregon, was actually a track and field star there, served as a police officer in Eugene, and has also uh, worked as a canine search and rescue handler. But now you see him on the small screen in a number of of different venues as an outdoor survivalist. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate you having me on. You call Kettle Falls, Washington home now in northeast Washington. How did you become an outdoor survivalist from a a kid growing up in the city?
5: You know, I think a lot of it had to do with me moving out into the east side of Gresham, actually closer to Sandy, Oregon, and uh, meeting my best friend, and I still one of my best friends in the world, Jim Calcano and his family. And uh, you know, me and my dad had always fished, but his family hunted, and they kind of took me under the wing. Jimmy was kind of the oops child, so he was way younger than all his siblings and most of the rest of the the hunting group. So I kind of got to tag along as company for him, and we built a great friendship. And I harvested my first elk with a bow at fourteen, and it's been crazy from there, and so, you know, I uh, lived in a few different places, and uh, and after being on the Alone show, I couldn't live in the city anymore, and so looking for a place that that I could afford, had a good amount of acreage, took me to the Northeast Washington and, uh, and to Kettle Falls, and uh, took a visit up there and fell in love with the area, and the rest is history.
1: Let's talk about Season 6 of Alone. What... A place to go, the Arctic. They started off always seem to be in British Columbia, a lot of times on Vancouver <laughs> Island, uh, but the Arctic, that's a really challenging place to survive or thrive. You know, tell us a little bit about your experience. You don't have to give us the, the spoiler in terms of how it ended, but I would love to get your thoughts about surviving up there.
5: Well, you know, of all the locations I've known that have had been filmed at at that point, that one offered the most potential abundance. You know, we had the the widest array of game that we can take a, a very wide array of forageable foods, but you know, at the same time being up in that environment where things move around so much because they have to, to, to feed and survive, you know, it was kind of a hit or miss deal. And so, one it was beautiful it was absolutely beautiful to just get into a, a place where you can't drive there you know you either have to fly there or you have to boat there it's a considerable distance if you need to a boat there uh, flying there probably takes about an hour and a half from uh, yellowknife to land on a little private airstrip <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere we're talking about truly wild untapped or you know untouched wild areas and uh, it was magnificent just to be there and feel the energy that's around there but yeah i mean it's it's definitely a tough environment but you you know going into that environment we have an idea of what we're we're up against and so we're fairly well prepared it's just a matter of you know kind of roll the dice on what your location has and your ability to tap into it
1: that's one show you've been on but you were Mm -hmm. recently the co-star of another show mud sweat and beards on what was it the Mm -hmm. usa network on the USA Network, yes. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. Well, with Mud Sweat and Beards, we wanted to do a little
5: bit different take on survival. And we wanted to show you that survival does not have to be a sufferfest, which is what you see on most of the uh, wilderness survival TV shows. We wanted to show that if you have a good attitude and you just kind of... You plug away and don't let the downs get you down, and you, uh, you appreciate the, the experience that you can actually have fun. And so Donnie Dust, my co-star, and I went to uh, four different locations, to Alaska, Louisiana, Iceland, and New Mexico. And we built some pretty significant shelters and accomplished showing that, that wilderness survival, while it's still difficult... Doesn't have to be a big suck fest. We could have actually have a lot of fun doing it. There's a lot of humor in the show. You know, some of those survival shows, you kind of, it's hard to watch because you're watching people just waste away and be miserable. Our show, at some point, if you watch our show, you're going to belly laugh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll definitely have to catch that on the reruns. I understand, though, you actually got injured on one of the episodes in Iceland. Yep,
5: yeah, Ison was the last location that we filmed. We actually had two other episodes that were scheduled to film on the east and west coast of Canada, but the very last day of our shoot after we were out of the field and we're just shooting promotional stuff, I'm just walking through the field and my Achilles snaps. You know, no, no major, no roll, no major anything happened? it was just Mike Ealy just like you know you've been abusing me for 47 years i'm taking a break <laughs> 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 and so yeah and you know i'm all healed up now and you know pretty much I, it's still healing a little bit but i'll still get regraining the strength in my calf but they i got it you know i think uh eight days after the rupture i was in surgery and had a good physical therapy and so i'm, I'm it's not holding me back anymore right now What's your
1: next project going to be?
5: You know, I'm not sure. You know, me and my agent are looking at, at different opportunities in the wilderness survival genre, though it seems a lot of my life is moving towards the hunting world. You know, that's really been my, my love, and that's where my my introduction to the outdoors. Basically, I started learning wilderness survival skills because I hunted alone a lot, and The more I knew, the more confident I was going to be to go deeper and to follow animals into areas alone and um, not let fear of what may happen prevent me from going to where the animals are. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at maybe partnering up with Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, they're, they're starting a new promotional division uh, headed up by Tom Ryle about, you know, recruiting new people, retaining current hunters and getting people that haven't bought their hunting licenses a while back into the fold. And so I think I'm going to meet with Tom on Monday and see if we can't do something to get a partnership with him. But, you know, me, it's about hunting. And so I'm looking at, you know, maybe work, doing some work with a, a local film company, doing some hunting stuff, you know. I'll say, you know, I don't really know for sure. You know, the universe brings me things, and I open up and take those opportunities, but that seems to be where, where things are headed, but you never
1: know. <laughs> no, you don't. But Tom Ryle, he's a good guy. and uh, Yes, he I, is. I think if you could partner up with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and do that project, that would be a benefit to a whole lot of people. We've got to go, yeah. but if folks want to find out more about you, Ray Livingston, what's a Facebook page or website they can go to?
5: If you look up Ray Livingston Modern Survivalist, I got a YouTube page, I've got Facebook, I've got Instagram, and I've got TikTok, all under Ray or Ray Livingston Modern Survivalist.
1: There you go, folks. Ray Livingston, Modern Survivalist. Check it out. I think you're going to be impressed by what you see. And again, check out Season 6 of Alone and Mud, Sweat, and Beards on the USA Network 2. And uh, check out all the fun and, well, sometimes not so fun that Ray is going through as he survives and thrives in the outdoors. Ray, thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thanks for having me on. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at Cena Sea Seafood. That's the company that catches salmon and halibut and sablefish and shellfish, too. Packages them carefully and delivers them right to your door. We are talking about wild fish and seafood here. None of it is farmed. It's all caught out of Prince William Sound. And if you're looking for premium seafood, Sina Sea is the place to go. And... I am happy to report they actually have spot shrimp in stock now. So if you want to get a two-pound bag or maybe several of them, you're going to love these shrimp. They are all medium-sized. The head's off. They're individually frozen. There's about 25 to 30 shrimp per pound. And again, these are wild shrimp. They're not farmed, and they're going to be probably the best-tasting shrimp you've ever had. Find out more at com. that's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, senac.com. Get yourself some delicious spot shrimp while it's in stock and more. And don't forget to use the discount code OUTDOORSRADIO for 10% off your order.
4: Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallawa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallawa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And fish or raft the Wallawa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallawa County. Plan your visit today at com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com.
2: Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime
0: at sportsmans.com.
1: Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge?
0: Why is Alaska like no other place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years.
4: From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as
0: it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless.
1: Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com.
2: BackCountryHunters.org. Join the fight for our public lands and waters today.
0: We've got time for one more shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. I'm glad you're
1: back. As I mentioned earlier in the show, our friends at Sportsman's Cove Lodge on Prince of Wales Island in Southeast Alaska, they've been booked up for several months now. It's just that popular of a place, but... They had a cancellation. As a matter of fact, they have a full boat available. That's six anglers. And they've got two additional spots also available. The dates are July 5th through the 9th. This is a four-day fishing trip. And it's absolutely a fantastic experience. Trust me. I've been up there three times. And I absolutely love not only the fishing and the scenery and the wildlife. But also the accommodations and the food. Oh, especially the food and the customer service. It's all beyond first rate. So if you go, you will be arriving at the lodge by float plane from Ketchikan on July 5th. That's a Tuesday. You'll fish July 6th, 7th, and 8th, and then that float plane will take you back to Ketchikan on Saturday the 9th. You'll stay the night in Ketchikan and head home the next day. The cost, $4,695 per angler, plus airfare to Ketchikan, one night's lodging on July 9th in Ketchikan, and gratuities. If you're looking for a great summer adventure, this is the one for you, and you can book it today by going to Alaska's Best Lodge. That's the website for Sportsman's Cove Lodge, alaskasbestlodge.com. And now it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week. And next week being Father's Day weekend, this is about Father's Day. It was first celebrated in 1910 at a YMCA in one of our northwestern states meant to complement Mother's Day. But believe it or not, Father's Day wasn't designated as a national holiday until 1972. Here's your question. In what state was the first Father's Day celebrated? You can answer that question by sending us an email through our website at northwesternoutdoors.com or by going to our Facebook page and finding the post thread where we have the question posted there. One lucky person who guesses right wins the $25 gift card we give away every week from Sportsman's Warehouse. And by the way, if you're looking for a Father's Day gift, Sportsman's Warehouse is definitely a great place to go if your dad enjoys the outdoors as well as outdoors cooking. All right, we've got to wrap things up, and I hope you will wish my fishing buddy, Rusty Johnson, and I luck. We are going to be competing in the Limit Out Marine Big Bass Tournament next weekend at Potholes Reservoir, hoping to catch a big bass and maybe even finally cash a check at a tournament. Even if we don't get a big one, I'm sure it's going to be fun. I always love fishing with my best friend, but a little luck wouldn't help. So wish us some. We could use it. And on that note, we've got to go. So until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors.